Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben. And my name is Zane. And I'm Bill. And this is... Oh my god, I forgot that there was a third person here. Um, <laughs> and this is the Carton Cast, uh, the place where we normally watch old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. But today, we are back for our ever-popular bootlegged segment. Where we also watch old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. You're but now, it's thing. a movie. Right. But in, but in movie form. So uh, today, we are going to be discussing Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. And our guest today is Bill. Hello, hello. Bill, uh, we're so happy to have you on. You are affiliated with Dane Caverns in some regard, Dan Caves. Yes. He was on here very recently, I believe last episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And he, when, when we mentioned that this was the show we were going to be doing, he, he thought of you immediately and said that you had to get on. Can you tell us <laughs> a little bit about you know who you are and why you have such a connection with, maybe not this film specifically, but this type of movie in general? I've spent quite a few years watching as many old, strange, and just plain bad films. Um, Probably more than is healthy for anyone to sit through. Um, B-movies, cult movies, of which this is very much one. Um, That's... Yes. That's my Balak. This is uh this is an in, in, it has an intense cult following although it was not terribly critically or not not it wasn't not critically successful it wasn't commercially terribly successful at the box office. I mean it came out right before Star Wars. Mm. Yeah, it got got overshadowed a little bit. Mark Hamill <laughs> jumped ship from from <laughs> Wizards fairly quickly. But, but uh, um, actually, yeah. uh, if I could just interject right there, um, mm-hmm. Bakshi borrowed. Mark Hamill as payment for taking war out of the title of this film at Lucas's request. So it was supposed to be War Wizards, and then George Lucas said, uh uh uh. And then he's like, give me Mark Hamill. I need him to voice like a two line character who gets immediately murdered. Pretty much. <laughs> Such and Mark Hamill, great life. voice actor, so he's of course down for it. From from Time Squad, yes. <laughs> As I, as I recall, he was the Larry Three Thousand. <laughs> it's, it's good to see that he's jumped ship from the from the old robot side onto the uh, what was he like a fairy prince or king or something? Something like that. Yeah, prince of the mountain fairies gets, gets a little bit you know, when you're when you're dealing with Tolkienian fantasy. Sometimes you just like stick your hand in and pull out an elf or a dwarf or something, and you don't ask too many questions on like how exactly it got there. Right, and it's interesting you should mention Tolkien because uh, Ralph Bakshi, who who you know made this movie, was inspired by Tolkien, and actually he was the one who did the '70s Lord of the Rings. Yeah, um, Zane, do you want to you want to introduce us to what exactly is the production history for Wizards? Yeah, well, it came out in 1977, and like I said, Bakshi did Lord of the Rings sort of in order to fund his other projects, including this one. Um, he's he's known for his adult animation with you know adult. Sometimes in quotes. Yeah, that that sounds a little bit unwholesome. <laughs> well, he made Felix the Cat, which is you know I don't know if you looked it up at all, but <laughs> it, didn't didn't uh, didn't actually make I thought it was Fritz the Cat. Fritz the Cat, yeah. Fritz Felix, same thing. No, very different. In fact, <laughs> that's a <laughs> whole. You should mention that. That's a whole different bag of tricks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. <clears throat> But he he actually had a fascinating upbringing, being born in what was then mandatory Palestine and growing up as the only white kid in an all-black school during segregation. So he was a huge uh, proponent of the counterculture and uh, 
he wanted to change people's opinions of what animation could do, kind of shifting it from low art to, you know, something that could stand on its own. Yes. Way, way to follow through with that ideal, because this this movie does a lot of incredible artistic things that I, I kind of didn't think that uh, something of this vintage would be able to do, which uh, it was it was Wizards was made in 1977. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And it, it's a cult classic for a number of reasons, one of which is because the animation style is very daring and partly on accident, as as I found out, <laughs> like the the combat scenes, they actually just ran out of budget at the end, and so he decided to do some rotoscoping in the manner of uh, a scanner darkly, which we've dealt with before, right? And, and I so think he turned it into something way more personal and and kind of chilling. Well, it it had this very atmospheric, moody sense to it, and and like you said, the battle scenes had a lot of rotoscoped live action things and so mostly in silhouette yeah um when when wizards came out bakshi says that um disney ran fantasia in the theaters that it was in in order to confuse people so that people wouldn't associate this kind of animation with more adult and and creepy stuff (laughs) i mean i guess it worked out Uh, apparently they didn't like what he was doing with the medium but (laughs) you know you can't fault results yeah seriously it must must have been the neo Nazis getting getting their knickers in a twist there. Um, yeah. So uh, before we start, Bill, would you like to tell us what exactly your internet presence is, if you have any? I can be found at uh, paperbackperils.blogspot.com, where I do reviews of mostly pulp fiction, some of it new, some of it old, and uh, just the one movie. <clears throat> <laughs> plus plus this movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um so a lot of like literature that I've been reading cuz I'm trying to get away from like staring at my phone all day. Um Yeah, best of luck. And then That's an uphill battle for all. our generation. Uh what is what is something recent that you've reviewed? I've been working my way through the reprinted Ancient Opar series from You're going to have to explain that. Uh author Philip Jose Farmer uh, and now Christopher Paul Carey as well, taking up the mantle. I've uh, done a series of novels and novellas set uh, 12,000 years ago in Africa, in the same fictional Africa that would later be home to Tarzan of the Apes. Oh, hmm. so, that almost sounds like Neil Gaiman's sort of yeah. storytelling. So there's a couple Tarzan novels where he visits a city called Opar, Lost in the Jungle, which is like the last surviving outpost of an Atlantis-like civilization. <laughs> Neat. And, yeah, and and relevant for today's discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Curiously enough. And so these novels deal with the civilization from its height to right before the uh, cataclysm that kind of destroys them. I love cataclysi. <laughs> <laughs> That's... There's nothing, there's nothing that cataclysm doesn't do for me. It gets a little hackneyed after a while, I think. <laughs> Does it? Does it, though, Zane? <laughs> There's so many ways you can have a, have, a, have a cataclysm. Very true. God, that's hard to say over and over again. <laughs> um, so, Bill, uh, you are clearly, because you because you read something that is called a paperback, you're clearly more cultured than either Zane or myself. <laughs> so whenever you have, like cultural resonance or historical uh analogs to what we're watching today please let us know 
because all we're going to do is be like, yeah, that guy looked good, but that guy did not look good. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, um, he's slowly realizing what he signed on for. <laughs> and I'm enjoying it. A, a minimum of an hour and a half of this garbage, <laughs> Bill. <laughs> well, let's let's get into the garbage and see who's throwing <laughs> throwing the garbage this time. Let's get into the garbage. Um, how do you want to start this, Zane? Um, well, there... I, I think a certain degree of understanding what the plot's about is necessary before we can explain, oh, this character is an elf. This character's a evil robot turned good. Like, you need yeah, to we, know a very basic bare-bones structure of what's going on. Yeah, which which I think is... It can also... It, we're also going to do a redux of that because we're going to have to say the... We're going to have to lead in with the narrator who basically describes the plot anyway. Mm-hmm. But... I guess we can just give a bare bones of the plot. So it is a post-apocalyptic cataclysm future. Um, it's 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 in, set in our world. Like, what was it? Several million years after the Holocaust. Two I, I couldn't years. keep track of. There's a sense of scale there that I think they kind of ignore. Yeah, they bullshitted some numbers into that. But but it's but yeah, the idea far is after our time, and because because uh nature and civilization is cyclical we've doubled back on ourselves from uh from nature we went to technology and now we're back to nature again right and right peace you, and love. you blew it all to hell and yeah then, <laughs> that's uh, right a you lot of the humans apes. the the humans became well radiation scarred yeah. and became mutants and then the fantasy races elves and fairies and all that came out of hiding and now there's this sort of Long-standing uh, um, thematic Blood feud dude. between the forces of magic and technology, as exemplified by the Avatar and Black Wolf. Yeah, and this is this is sort of the theme that they've run on with for the entire movie. Um, this whole civilization versus uh, organic, or I mean, like this uh, technology versus organic uh, strife. Sure, which is which is handled much differently in some other works here it's more of an afterthought because the actual uh the actual themes that they're going on with is about the creation of the state of israel after the holocaust when fashion is on the rise again yeah i I think there were a lot of real world points he was trying to make that kind of went past me and then one real world point that he was trying to make that just just hit over the head again and again smack you in the side of the head (laughs) Did, did you know this movie has nazis in it when that, when that, man, that was such a, like, I knew it was coming, but I didn't realize it was coming at the moment that I saw it. I didn't realize it would be quite so overt. It's pretty, nope, Hitler's literally the enemy in this movie. There was, there's an anecdote that Ralph Bakshi was doing an interview in Germany a couple years I, back. I saw this, yeah. And the, please, interviewer, please describe. the interviewer asked him why he used the swastika as the symbol of evil in this film. <laughs> Why do you have to ask that question well, in Germany? He just had to put his hand on the guy's shoulder and just be like, oh my god, I'm so sorry that you don't realize this. I think his actual <laughs> response awkward. was, are you kidding me? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so hey, how, come, of... how come wings symbolize flight? What's that about? <laughs> um, so there's, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion of the dangers of propaganda and and an ideological war 
uh, in this that's kind of mixed up in this technology versus nature battle. So Mm. it's juggling multiple themes that are more or less divided in the same way. And at times it can get a little bit hectic to figure out what point they're trying to make precisely. Right. But it it's you'll you'll see as we go along how that's how that's reflected in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think we should also introduce the main characters that we're working with very briefly. Right. Bill, we usually do this by not really discussing what the characters mean, but kind of just what their place is in the moving uh, in the movie and then they kind of reach their own fruition as as we discuss the plot yeah okay uh and like i said the the main conflict stems from these two brothers avatar who's the good one and black wolf who's the bad one and these are not you know they're not good or bad because I think of the mom must have like wanted there to be this battle because she named her she named the bad one black wolf <laughs> yeah which <laughs> well it's uh, fairly damning he was born with red eyes and skeleton eyes so right i I love his skeleton arm (laughs) i was like i saw that and they're like mutants and i'm like that's not what mutants is (laughs) (laughs) doesn't doesn't give you skeleton arms and his hands are fine though yep hands are Uh, fine it's just the arm it's just the arms that makes sense but yeah the, the fact that they're born on this sort of difference makes you wonder like is is Bakshi trying to say like there was no way for you know the Nazis to be redeemed? Were there no you know is he ignoring the socio political lead up to that, or is it just hey this is a fantasy thing? Things are just good and evil because yeah, and and I thought it would be more textured than that, but it very quickly turns into a well this guy you're actually supposed to like and this guy you're actually supposed not to mm. like, right? But uh, so Avatar is from what I can tell played by Groucho Marx. Peter and, Falk. <laughs> no, um, well, whatever. He, he, he's voiced by Bob Holt, who's doing a great Peter Falk impression. I kept expecting him to do like a Columbo routine. Ever since I saw him lounging on that sofa, like smoking a cigar in one of his big feet, and just kind of, I don't know, mincing in the manner of old men. Like I thought he was Groucho Marx the whole time. Black Wolf, just just one more thing. I gotta know, <laughs> how did you do it? <laughs> Well, you watch the way he moves his hands when he's talking. There's definitely a Peter Falk Columbo connection there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, and uh, Bob Holt was uh, the voice for a number of animated specials with Dr. Seuss, uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. He did voice acting and uh, Charlotte's Web. Yeah. And uh, that is perhaps why he tends to be the goofiest character in the whole movie, <laughs> despite being, like, the main good guy. Yeah, a lot of the other characters are voiced by people who had done work with Bakshi before and were used to doing more, like, adult stuff. And then, and then this guy comes in. He and... just came in and took a big bite out of the set. <laughs> just had a mouthful of the scenery on hand whenever he came on screen. Hmm. Honestly, honestly, I, I love this character. He's an interesting inversion of the good wizard, too, in that he, like, engages regularly in all these sorts of benign vices. Like, he loves his scotch. He, 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 makes, he makes sexy eyes at Eleanor in a way that's really disgusting because she's probably 12. <laughs> and, and he doesn't, like, he doesn't speak the way, you know, Gandalf does. He, he's not about this big climactic understanding of the world he's just like yeah man this guy's being a dick let's uh you know <laughs> put him in his place he he seems almost resigned at this point like oh i finally have to get off my ass and like stop evil he, uh, he could have done this at any time okay 
I'm a baba. He's a very <laughs> shabby arch wizard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's not quite down on his luck so much as he's just, yeah, like you, like you said, Zane, resigned to his fate. He's been he, alive for, what, 2,000 years or something? He sat this one out. <laughs> yeah. He, he's been catching up on his, on his TiVo. Yeah, but but let's talk about some of the other characters because mm-hmm. we'll see through well, actually, his actions how he develops. I actually do want to say one more thing about Avatar before we even start, which is as the story progresses, we see Avatar having to give up more and more of his ideals in order to defeat his enemy. Yeah, he, like he he goes away from the whole nature loving, magic loving, peace loving thing um, to just being like, I want this to be over. Exactly, and <laughs> and it becomes a personal cost to him and an unnecessary cost because otherwise he probably wouldn't have been able to defeat uh spoilers he wouldn't have been able to defeat uh dark hawk or dark wolf and he actually comments <laughs> on that at one point uh right before the final battle he tells Weehawk, who we'll talk about in a second uh, man i love Weehawk. <laughs> tell eleanor that avatar dies tonight yeah uh, whether we one win or, or the not other. yeah exactly and it's completely completely averted at that point but um but yeah, his is the more personal ideological battle. So, mm-hmm. so following his story is is the most interesting to mm-hmm. me. Uh, and so you mentioned Weehawk, who is this much? He's a, a sort of a servant of Avatar. He's he's a an elf. He's like a barbarian elf warlord. Like yeah, these, tribe the, leader. The elves in this movie are more toward the Keebler clan rather than the Santa clan, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Most of the time, but. I wouldn't say that. We- Weehawk isn't really a good representation of... I don't know. I, I kind of got like a dark elf, like uh, like the drow sort of thing. Wood elf, dark them. elf. But what I what I think is interesting is Avatar is this older cynic, and Weehawk still has this vitality about him that you can yeah. sort of see, you know, Avatar looks at him, and he's like, I, I was that young once. I-, I remember what it meant when I thought the world was a good place. He has a much higher range of emotion that is that, that leads very strongly to being a heroic figure. And you can kind of see Avatar sort of taking a shine to him because it reminds him of his past self, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kicks ass. He- yeah. He's also really just fun to watch and listen <laughs> to. Like, this-, this character is not that subtle, but it doesn't really need to be. I was super psyched whenever I saw him because things were about to be awesome. Yeah, just throwing himself off bridges at people. And, yeah, why not? You know, you know, he's the action hero of the film. K- kicking a guy's head off. Kicking it off. <laughs> with his foot. So In his little footy pajamas. Yeah, yeah. His little stupid elfy footy pajamas that are like just a little bit too long for him. <laughs> um, there's also Eleanor, who right. is perplexing to describe <laughs> thong fairy <laughs> it's pretty much thong fairy do you guys know that montagar is actually a freezing climate <laughs> she's got these big huge perky nipples that really should not be as pronounced as they are yeah so this is where kind of that whole you know counterculture fighting for the oppressed against you know power and all that the dangers of propaganda is like let's yeah, have fine. the most Put blatant sexism we can yeah, what in about this our movie booty, though <laughs> I'm convinced that most of her magic is actually involved in keeping her in that outfit. <laughs> well, she does keep a sword somewhere on her person. Well, she's got the little like, G-string on, so I mean, strap the scabbard onto that. Yeah, so, or maybe so, maybe in one of them diaphanous wings. Uh, not the most progressive character, but no, this is but, this is but like, damn. 
No, th- this is where it's movie. The movie starts really showing its wrinkles from being in like the seventies. Yeah, like, it's a bit dated. What the fuck am I looking at? This is not a Disney style fairy. It, it's clearly just like, like clearly. And it's not just it's not just a stylistic choice to appeal to you know his normal audience. Like Avatar makes notice of how just oh know, they bone constantly unclothed and attractive this fairy woman is. <laughs> Like he's, he's like, sit uh, on my lap for a few hours while I think about this. Yeah, come here, babe. <laughs> um, yeah, her place in this allegory is also just confusing. Like, <laughs> who is she supposed to be in our historical analog to, uh, to fighting Nazis precisely? Because she's kind of just there to like give Avatar something to care about. Do you think like she's like a uh, the people back home that we're trying I, to protect? Sort of. I thing? don't know that she adds anything. I think it's just cheesecake. It's, it, it seems like it's mostly cheesecake to me. What do you think, Bill? I think it's mostly cheesecake. I think there is probably some element of, you know, she is the innocence lost in war or something like that as well. Mm, it, yeah, maybe. <clears throat> I, I thought that was more powerful just by looking at Avatar becoming more and more uh, tainted. Mm-hmm. But I guess this is, yeah, I guess so. It's like the, the, the human cost that you have to be aware of. Um, there's also Evil Red Bender. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> R- riding on Slash a, Daffy Duck. Riding on some weird ostrich. I love the I, ostrich horses. Ostrich not... horses are incredible. They look so stupid. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about this, this him, movie I think, when a, we get to his development. But it's so yeah, there's weird not that, that the, most, the most dire figure in the whole movie, excepting Mr. Skeleton Arms, is riding this absurd mount that just makes you want to giggle. <laughs> It's, it's such a ridiculous it's shape. It's like like an ostrich. But uh, yeah, this character is Necron 99. <laughs> Damn. So, sometimes, sometimes Ralph Bakshi doesn't quite remember the distinction between fantasy and sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Necron 99 actually got him into a little bit of trouble because he basically looks traced off of a counterculture comic character called Cobalt oh. 60. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, he looks like Cobalt 60 with a little dongle attached to the top of his head. <laughs> you need the dongle. <laughs> it's how he receives his evil transmissions. Okay, so of course Cobalt. I looked up Cobalt 60, and of course it's a radioactive material. What What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I should it. know this. <laughs> but yeah, it was a comic by a guy named uh, Von Bode or Von Bode. I'm not sure oh, how yeah. he pronounces it. The glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. This guy's very striking. Like, oh my god, he's even on the back of some weird-looking goof mount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, I I really love the um the way this character looks though. This is like the most this is the most creative a character is, and it doesn't surprise me at the least that it was just straight up stole from mm-hmm. somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, yeah, he's the most striking character. He's the one who's in the poster art and the DVD covers. And, and that poster looks amazing. It's weird because the movie doesn't really do much with him. Mm-hmm. No, it, it it super does. It, like I think it's another gradation in Avatar, kind of losing his losing his um, idealism, um, which we will get to. Yeah, um, fairly fairly early in the movie. But uh, the last, I also wanted to mention that uh, Black Wolf is um in addition to having skeleton arms also has a personality which is 
depressingly evil at times, but there are certain scenes that make him look sort of like a Malcolm X sort of a figure. Really? I think so. He he talks about, like, why can't my children enjoy, like, non-irradiated land, etc. And I, I got I got shades of Shylock from uh, Merchant of Venice. You know, he's clearly the villain in the, in the story, but he's not without some uh, shade of humanity to him. I will say the single most chilling thing he says or does is when he asks the uh, the wise men if his uh, children will be born mutant or not, and they say yes. And he just says, the next one won't be. Oh, it's so good. I don't understand yeah. what the purpose of that part is, because he is a mutant, so it's this really weird self-hating <laughs> racism. But it's, it's so, it, it's, it really cements the character. Well, yeah. every father wants his child to grow up to be more than what he has. Yeah, but he doesn't kill him if that's not going to happen. Every father wants his child to be a part of the master race. <laughs> Every father wants his children to have full-fleshed arms. <laughs> like One day. You, you get you get a centimeter with each passing generation. <laughs> um, it's, any, it's enforced breeding. Are there any other characters we want to look at? I, I don't think so. What about you, Bill? I don't think so. I mean, other than that, it's you know a bunch of mutant troopers and hookers, so... Man, yeah, let's talk about the hookers. Um, <laughs> let's move on. All right, let, let's let's go into the plot now. So, this intro's got some balls, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like. This is way back before Miyazaki gave us subtlety in, like, um, Princess Mononoke. Wizards just straight up tell you that tech and magic are just enemies. Mm. Which is, right. yeah. This, this, it's got all the good trappings of, like, a good sci-fi post-apocalypse where there's very clearly delineated sides, like, in the manner of Star Wars. We got good guys, uh, which is a rebel base, and then we got bad guys, which are in the Death Star. Mm-hmm. And... And I just want to point out how quickly, how quickly this, if you didn't know anything about this movie going in, how quickly it shifts. So we start off with this live action pan across like a book that says like the conflict between magic and technology. And yeah, it's, it's we, like a storybook, but with like yeah. some lightning effects in the background. But it opens up and we see the planet and then it just immediately explodes. Yeah, two atomic bombs. <laughs> and like, the peaceful music ball. is still playing. They literally speedball atomic bombs straight up into Tolkienian fantasy. Like, yeah. He doesn't like this. This was like must have been bef- been in the era before people felt the need to delineate between sci-fi and fantasy because they don't even give a they don't even try to integrate them. <laughs> so this one happened, and then this one happened. <laughs> Dealing with both of them. I think. Um, I, I think the narrator has some really beautiful lines that that evoke certain imagery you know how they say like uh the fact that they're mutants now made each birth a new disaster Mm -hmm. it's it's very strong terms it's showing you right away what the stakes are there's moments in this movie where it doesn't seem like it's the moment for somebody to say something really awkwardly profound and it usually happens from the mouth of one of the goofiest characters i've ever seen (laughs) but there's like little bits like that where it's just like i could dissect this sentence for hours I love the historical images, the still images that uh, Mike Plug provided. Mm. I think those are just... I could stare at those all day. Susan Tyrell's narration in the beginning just 
It, it makes it sound like someone's. It makes it sound like she's like explaining the story of the of her culture of their people to like a child coming of age. Yeah, and she just carries a weariness in her voice, where it's like she's just yeah. sounds tired. She 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 knows it's happened before. She's ready for it to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this whole background is visually striking because, like you said. It's a mixture of this wooden diorama, so there's nothing moving. It's just showing these still images, uh, and real-life smoke, like a fog machine in the background. Yeah, they get a lot of use out of fog in this movie in, in a really effective way. Usually, like, the sun starts bleeding through the, fo- through the fog and, like, showing the, showing the scene. Mm. Uh, I thought that was an excellent, like, aesthetic choice. Makes it, it makes it seem a little bit more otherworldly than it otherwise could have. It comes across in a couple ways. Like, you have the radiation clouds dissipating. You have the sun of, you know, hope for the future shining through. Mm. <clears throat> the, uh, there's also this really weird mix of somber music and vocal tones from the narrator. Like you said, she sounded kind of sad. And then there's a bunch of, like, Dr. Seuss monsters. And it's such a weird... I don't know, such a weird mix of goofy and sad. <laughs> but it reminded me that that's how fables used to be before they got all Disneyfied. Have you ever seen Grimm's Fairy... Have you ever read any Grimm's Fairy Tales? I assume you have. Oh, yeah. So, like, they're usually for kids. They're explicitly for children, but they had tons of hor- horrific imagery in them. Right, you know, uh... Cinderella's wicked stepsisters cutting off their toes to fit into the glass slipper kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, the heel's too big. Mm. The, uh, yeah, or, um, or Little Red Riding Hood used to have, um, used to have the wolf came in and literally, like, slaughtered the grandmother, made her into a pie, and put her blood into a glass, and then when the, when the daughter came over, when Little Red Riding Hood came in, would have her eat her own grandmother because he's a psychopath and drink her own blood and then get into bed with the wolf and then the wolf ate her and that was the end of the story <laughs> so are you saying that this narration is is the disneyfied version or i'm saying that black wolf is has a has a far reach beyond just this movie mm-hmm. that was a joke and it was not a good one <laughs> There was a <laughs> yeah. Here, here's another uh, weird sentence that almost passed me by. Um, when he talks about when, when the narrator talks about how th- these two childrens were birthed, uh, the good one and the bad one, uh, and eventually Black Hawk Down tried to take over whatever the hell land they're part of. But Avatar's magic was stronger because he had the emotional loss of his mother. Right. It's it's showing this. Um... You know, technology is powerful on its own. Magic requires sacrifice. And it also just like... Which is a theme that returns throughout. It also reminds us of like um, the the idea that this is supposed to be uh, Israel, uh, you know, sort of beaten but never broken. Mm -hmm. And it's just making them stronger for their resolve. It sort of of mirrors that as well. Um, The way that Avatar and Black Wolf are introduced here is very polarizing um, so yeah. much so that I thought that it was hiding something. Uh, what do you mean? Like, we're going to get the reversal halfway through I, I, and Avatar I thought was... it was going to be leading into, like, a <laughs> Professor Xavier Magneto thing. And, <laughs> Bill, 
you haven't been around, so you have no idea how often I reference Magneto. I really <laughs> thought this. Was, I thought it was going to lead into another Magneto thing. Like, Hero of the to, people. He's trying to make the planet fit for mutants, right? Mm-hmm. That's not an evil guy thing. No. Also, those are not mutants. That's not how mutation works. <laughs> okay, <laughs> get off your high horse and get onto your melty turkey. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of melty turkey, uh, Black Wolf's Black Wolf's minions look amazing. <laughs> Oh, I love the ones where it's the jumpsuit and the gas mask. I love that guy. Yeah, he looks like Dream from uh, from Sandman. Mm. Those guys look amazing, and most of them are actually voiced by Ralph Bakshi himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny because those soldiers are just, they're the worst people ever. Mm. They're so stupid and knee-jerk. I felt like I was watching Red vs. Blue again. <laughs> I thought of them as the hyenas from uh, Lion King. Right, because they're also supposed to like. You remember that one image of Scar standing on the mountaintop, and all of them are goose stepping in line. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I wrote, thought of them as. Man, how do I hyenas. keep forgetting that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, so at this point, uh, the move after the movie is explained, we see that uh, Black Wolf um sends out his minions for for you know dastardly purposes that are ill defined, right? And we see that Black Wolf's land, Scorch, the radiation-filled land, is uh, everyone's melting. Mm. Uh, even even the prostitutes, mm. especially the prostitutes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And something about this animation is just really revolting. The way mm. that everything looks like it's like trying to terminate. Mm. It's, it's, it's like trying. They're trying to melt away, <laughs> but but can't quite manage it. Well, everyone in Scorch just looks so, like, sour and drained and aged. Which and... is relevant, because that's kind of mm. why they can't uh, win whatever the hell war is going mm. on, right? And you look at just how claustrophobic the backgrounds are in Scorch as well. Like, there's, like, some of those castles look very Escher-esque. Yeah. I was thinking that. It's, it's <clears throat> like a mixture of M.C. Escher and a scrapyard. Yeah, uh, and, and Mordor. For, for good measure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very very dark, very oppressive. Mm. Yeah, like literally Necron 99 walks out on his uh on his on his weevil turkey and uh <laughs> like there's a bunch of prostitutes chilling out there. Mm-hmm. It's really strange. And it gets way <laughs> creepier later when we come back to Scorch. Mm. But uh for now, we see Black Wolf's minions kind of marauding through the countryside using both regular and laser guns in a way that I found really strange for a second <laughs> until I just kind of got over it. <laughs> Yeah, and he they they show the um they show his minions kill a, a wizard who's teaching his students about the dangers of technology just to really cement that visual. In case you didn't figure it out from the storybook that said technology and magic are at war. Yeah. He, here's an example of it. Such wisdom is no match for a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which actually, you know, let's keep that in mind for later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um I, I would like to point out that the music Whenever like there's battles or atrocities happening, for some reason we get jazz Jimmy music. Hendrix. Yeah. <laughs> it fades into a distorted guitar. Like that's not the choice I would have made, but it, it's strangely effective. It, it's it's effective, but I don't think it's trying to be effective in the way that it affected me. Like <laughs> it, I think it was trying to be like a war. What is it good for? Huh? Sort of thing, and it just seemed really funny to me. It's the seventies. Everything goes. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, where's uh, my disco in this? <laughs> so Necron 99 chases down Weehawk to some sweet Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, and, and Weehawk has um, has another elf friend. 
who is who immediately murdered. Immediately murdered and kind of never brought up again? Nope. nope. Not even by Weehawk. <laughs> who you think would be sad. No, he's well, more sad about his mount that died. Well, yeah. That makes sense to me. Like, look, he, he probably has to offend for a lot of people. Like, he's the tribe leader, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's even got, like, uh, a wife and children. Presumably, he sees people die on his watch all the time, but his own mount? That's that's personal connection. Hmm. That sort of makes sense. Mm. <laughs> Roll with it. Yeah. Don't think too hard. It's totally fine. <laughs> I, I love it whenever somebody from tech side fights somebody from magic side. Like, this Necron 99 versus Weehawk situation is so cool. Because Necron's going at it with, like, a gun from his mount, and Weehawk's just, like, throwing swords. Yeah, he he takes out the one arrow he brought because he doesn't need two fucking arrows. (laughs) And and immediately shoots his his camel turkey. And he he jumps at him with a knife, and they they both go over the cliff, and it's a really fluid animation. I was going to say, this is such a cool scene transition. One of the bubbles pops to reveal the next scene. Mm. So cool. And we're so used, you know, this is the era predating He-Man. Like, you're not expecting miracles here, but this is just very fluidly done. In in Star Trek uh, TAS, um, you you had the, the... you had these transitions were essentially just a smash cut at best. Mm-hmm. So this is this was really that was, this was really impressive for its time, and even now it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I will say um, I've seen this movie probably six, seven times now. No kidding. I never picked up on the connection between this film and the creation of Israel. I, I didn't die there. I was looking this up. This is this is kind of our. <laughs> This is how we do. I, I try to watch the whole movie through mm. once and come up with my own stuff. Mm. Never picked up. Well, I mean, I'm like, well, something about Nazis. But that's as far as I got. Mm. Um, apparently, it was supposed to be an allegory for the creation of Israel and the fight against uh, a, a, a f- oppression thereafter. So mm. I, I don't know. Like, you, you don't have to continue mm. along, along with on those lines. Um, you know, if, uh, there's a reason that we invited you on. We want to hear your opinion as someone who loves this movie mm. so much. So, um, we cut to an observatory that kind of looks like a dick. Can, and... can I talk about Avatar's pad? Right? <laughs> Please. This this is a pretty cozy looking place. Like, this is this is where, he, like, professors long to retire once they're done with the workaday world. Like, his, yeah. his pad is so cool. It's like this weird Dr. Seuss-esque, like, tree fort rising out of the ocean. And there's so much about this scene that's just fucking weird. <laughs> because you don't know any of these characters yet. No, like, you're hit with absurd Hobbit Groucho Marx, uh, the goddess of the New World Slut Fairy. And some sort of clown butler. <laughs> I'm putting him down as a mime-esque vizier. Yeah, did, did you have a term for this guy, Bill? Um... <laughs> The uh, the president. Yeah, the masked president. I don't know what the heck's going on with him. The and... masked pre- Oh, my God. He what if we came... elected somebody who never stopped wearing a mask? It, yeah. it looks like he just came out of like, the weirdest sex party ever. <laughs> like, it looks like, you know, the comedy or tragedy mask just with a gigantic dick-like nose on it. <laughs> it looks incredible. Um, have you got Bill, have you ever seen uh, Venture Brothers? Yes. There's this one villain who barely shows up. His name is Wild Fop. And whenever he shows up, he's, like, painted really weird and has got this big nose and just, like, I don't know. He's, like, 
his thing is that he's just like inappropriately sexual toward the protagonists that he's fighting (laughs) (laughs) and that's what it reminded me of like i wouldn't have been surprised if he just like took off his shirt and started rubbing his nipples on avatar damn it avatar (laughs) (laughs) no No, you gotta learn you gotta learn to relax I'm glad he gets shot quickly because I just can't stand his voice. <laughs> there's there's some characters in this who have pretty rough voices. Luckily, mm. he he does uh, he does get shot pretty quickly. Mm. And uh, but before that happens, uh, Avatar talks about you know Black Wolf and how it got to this point. How Black Wolf studied the dark arts. He enslaved mutants to attack people, but was ineffective. And then we get we we, we zoom into this sort of vignette uh, where we see. The the mutated the, the mutants in their gas masks and one of them's freaking out about oh, his yeah. dead friend. Max yeah, this Fritz. requires some explanation. This is a famous scene and it's so baffling. And I know he's trying to tell me something. He, he, he's trying to. It, it's it's an author thing, right? He he's, he made uh, Fritz the cat. So someone's saying somebody killed Fritz is is like sort of his own personal dig. Well, I, I think it's also trying to send a message of the dangers of overreaction to an enemy you know like if, if you have this perceived threat and and you start blaming them for everything you're gonna end up shooting yourself or your friend in the foot or the stomach i thought it was the precursor to mash people get shot a lot in this this, film. this comedy war interplay is like that surgeon you know in mash whatever his name is like, like where he's really maudlin at one point and then just kind of like doing weird uh, weird like Im- impressions the next I think there's an element in the scene as well of you know people going to war for glory when there is no glory in war you know mm-hmm. Max says when Fritz is revealed to not have been shot by the fairies uh, <laughs> spoiler you know there you he go again stepping on my just lines fine. there you go again stepping on my lines costing me medals <laughs> You know, Max wants to be, you know, the big action movie war hero. And yeah. instead he's comedy guard number two. Yeah, like, uh, this it's probably just another uh, lens through which we uh, see people becoming disillusioned with the reality of war. After yeah. it's been built up as something so dramatic and important in their minds. And then you get onto the battlefield and it's actually just all meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> To- totally, I totally agree. It is a really interesting scene. I don't know if I would have put it into mimetic status had I my druthers. <laughs> um, I did want to talk for a second about how uh, a- Avatar just makes a jukebox in his house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really get what they're going for here because it seems like he's supposed to dislike technology and science and then he just makes it himself what exactly is the distinction i think if you well the, the, same the distinction is this one's not full of nazi stuff <laughs> i think this and this is actually the theme i've always taken from the film is that technology and presumably magic as well neither one is good or evil in and of itself they're morally neutral and it's the intent with which they're used that determines good or evil. Uh, I, I'm and not that's so easy, sure. That's easy to believe until you see the big reveal where Black Wolf's sitting in the middle of a giant swastika. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> it's also, if you, if you uh, operate under that framework, mm. it's harder to see 
Avatar losing more and more of his humanity to adopting these wartime practices and embracing technology. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I viewed it in a different direction, which is simply... Well, the way I viewed it was also wrong, but I didn't realize it at the time. I thought that uh, Avatar was a huge hypocrite and that... Um, he just kind of locked up technology for himself under the guise of magic. Mm. So, like, I, I thought it was weird because, like, the, this one path with the same consequences is revered, but this other path with the same consequences is vilified in a way that it made it sound like a holy war that mm. Avatar was the bad guy of. <laughs> <laughs> and to be like, fair... He's, keep, he's keeping science locked up to remain in control, and Black Wolf is attempting to free them from it. To be fair, he did turn a stack of caged pets into a jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what exactly okay. about that is... You know, if you want to look into anything, anything can look bad, but, you know... <laughs> well, if you want to look hard sounds enough. bad when you, when you transmogrify a stack of caged animals. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, Zane, you were saying, when we switched back to Black Wolf... Um, right, so... Well, a little bit before that, yeah, um, go ahead. Like Avatar explains, you know, he's got this new power, which we which we learn in the next scene. But Necron shows up, shoots the butler. Mm. Avatar zaps him. <laughs> he's not. He's not the butler, Zane. He, <laughs> he's the free magic president from the mime sex closet. Um, <laughs> and then Weehawk returns and reports on his failure. And then and then we see that um, that, that's really Weehawk all over, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, I failed you. Oh, I failed you again. I'm going to kick this guy. I failed you again. It's not all about you, Weak Hawk. Sometimes shit just happens. I do love his voice, though. Me too. It's so appropriate for Hero. Like, this could be Aragorn in a different life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see this frogman minion of ne- uh, of um, Black Wolf, and he notices that Necron's radar goes out, which is like, oh, aha, yeah, Avatar so must cool. have gotten to him. Mm, that's so cool. But when we see Frogman reporting to Black Wolf, <laughs> this is my he's, favorite. he's sitting in a void with that real-life fog swirling behind him on a demon throne. That, this is the best part. Sitting in the gi- in the middle of a giant swastika, mm-hmm. and then he feeds his Frogman a hunk of meat with the Jewish star inscribed on it. I, okay, I didn't notice the Jewish star inscribed. What I did notice is that while Black Wolf is waiting for uh, for his minion to come in, He's not, like, menacingly perched atop his throne with his fingers steepled or, like, trying to chart something out on a map or studying magic or something. He's, like, lounging on his throne and, like, playing fetch with these two animate skulls. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is very funny in a very ridiculous way. I love that they interpret in that scene the light in Necron going out as... Ah, he's self-destructed because he completed his mission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good. Like, they don't consider for a minute that they could have failed. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because the, all they've been doing so far is failing in, in this war, right? Well, they're they're close to ruling everything. There's only a few countries left, right? Is that the way of it? I thought they were biding their time until just this moment. Well, they... The assassins were sent out to kill the last few uh, strong rulers in the clean uh, lands, yes. mm-hmm. leaving just you know second-rate incompetence in command. <laughs> Which I don't know about this, but like leaving your twin brother, whom is fated to duel you, alive—that's pretty weird. 
<laughs> that, that's a weird thing to do, right? He, he just ignores him for the most for the most part. He he says, "Oh, I have this great new weapon. Everyone's really psyched for it. A fairy uh, that he's captured warns him against it, saying, "No, this is going to destroy all history. Uh, you're going to you know destroy yourself with this." And he's like. I don't care. And then he goes out onto his Hitler balcony and yep. gives his Hitler speech about the Hitler. Like <laughs> he, he refers it's to them so as the master thick race. Right here. It's yeah. so thick. <laughs> uh, before this point, I was way up into like, no, he's actually just Magneto. It's going to turn about. But once you invoke Hitler as your lord and savior, you you kind of can't do that anymore, no matter how much you like Magneto. <laughs> and we all like Magneto. Oh, yeah. as much as the next person. <laughs> Yeah, Ugh. this is this is weird, man. <laughs> like it just it it is super thick. You're so and then, right. And then when you're like, this can't possibly get any more overt. He literally shows Nazi footage. Yeah. So our 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 enemy in this movie is figuratively. Oh wait, I guess I meant literally Hitler. Yeah, the narrator does say, you know, later on refers to Black Wolf as you know the new Hitler. Or the reborn yeah. Hitler or something like that. I think at like the that. end, they say something like, Hitler is dead, dot, 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 again. Yes. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Spoilers, guys. Hitler's dead. It was the 70s. Um, but uh, his minions his Hitler are speech is so really cool. psyched about this. Yeah. It's weird that they needed propaganda in order to win. Like, I get the idea. It's just, like, it's distilled a little bit too abstractly. That the only thing they were missing was a unifying ideal. They already have that. They've got the Magneto crisis, right? They want mm-hmm. the world for of their own. So thematically, it's great that they need propaganda and that that's the real danger here. But logistically, it kind of it's kind of rotten. I thought. If you're willing to let that slide, the way it comes across is very effective because you see the fairy people and the elves in the trenches, mm-hmm. like getting in with some World War One imagery to complement your World War Two imagery, and. They're ready to defend, and then they get the propaganda of these Nazi movies, and they're just shocked and destabilized, and the enemy hordes just rip them to shreds. Yeah, so here's a really cool scene. Um, but Before they actually start the battle, there's this cool little moment between an elf and a dwarf that it, it's just this this movie likes to do these weird little moments at times where it kind of gives us it kind of captures the hearts and minds of the people oh yeah hmm. the... yeah it, it shows us showing us like the individuals of the war even if they're unnamed they're they're very personalized yeah especially for the 10 seconds of screen time that they get yeah especially this young elf in this scene oh my god yeah he's scared out of his mind <laughs> and you've got the older dwarf you know to go back to the World War One reference, probably, you know, a veteran of, you know, England's colonial wars. Of... What, what would the what would the uh, what would the analog to to this setting be? What kind of World War One was he part of? Um, well, if you if we're taking this trench scene as World War One and the elf is a new recruit and the dwarf is, you know, the grizzled veteran, hmm. he would have been fighting it would probably be comparable to a British veteran of, like, the Zulu or Second Afghan Wars, or I, even the Boer Wars. Oh, no, I, I agree, even though I don't know any of those words. Mm. What I'm saying is, what war did he fight in in this movie? I want to see this dwarven guy's, like, CV. I want to see his resume. Well, he would have fought against one of the earlier mutant incursions. Earlier, <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's as EMI. one-to-one with that, with the, with the history stuff. Mm. I think it's... What, sh- what happens is is we get this really graphic 
slaughter, really, and we see the young elf again, and he's clearly traumatized, and, and um, it, it echoes what happened, you know, to the people of World War One that led to the events of World War Two. I mean, Hitler fought in World War One, and he, you know, was clearly traumatized by it in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, um... This, uh, if, if we can take a break from the themes and just focus on the cinematography of the battle scenes that they oh, do, yeah. this is the first example of it. Um, they do some of that silhouette rotoscoping that I talked about previously. Yeah, it's like a like a photo negative. It's it's perfect. It's they don't show any fighting. They just show Avatar's army reacting in the face of a fearless enemy. Which you see, like the reflection of the Hitler speech in one of their eyes. Like, yeah. I can't believe I haven't seen more references that references to that in that in like later in like later films. Because mm. that is very evocative. It's it's an otherworldly effect, and it's even cooler because you realize like he did this because he didn't have the time or budget to do an actual animation sequence. Yeah, it's messy and dirty. Also, yeah. it probably would have been more affecting if it wasn't to porno music. Audience, I'm going to cut in the actual music and then the soundtrack to a porno and I, you will not be able to tell which one's which riddle me this <laughs> I, I love I love how like it might have just been a product of it being in the 70s I really hope it was a considered decision to make the music so goofy alongside the brutal nature of war I think it almost has like a destabilizing effect for the audience because mm. you know you're confronted with these horrific bloody images and then you've got this poppy happy music there's a definite dissonance there um, yeah there totally is and it's I, I don't know whether or not it, it was intentional to make the for for like a dissonance purpose or whether it was just to like play up the silly serious dichotomy that we got in the fritz scene the fritz mm. scene but uh, it, it's very, it's a very cool scene. Every time the, this movie does a fight scene, I'm very impressed and very enthralled. Yeah. Um, I, I really feel like it captures like the chaos of armies clashing very well. Yeah, and, and again, you don't see an actual fight here. You just see one side getting overpowered because mm-hmm. they're like one of the elf is like cowering with his eyes wide open, and he drops this knife, and then you see blood running down a cliff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it, to show no fighting at all only only uh only emphasizes how much of a slaughter it was yeah, like it yeah. wasn't even a it wasn't even a war mm-hmm. it was a rout yeah. um whew. anyway yeah we got we got down a little bit of a hole there we're gonna have to i think pick up the pace a little bit it's but right. uh but yeah. uh it transitions to another avatar scene where he's using science in the guise of magic in his holy war to keep it locked up for himself again. <laughs> he's using by, a... by the way, Bill, I should mention, when Ben gets a thesis, even if it's demonstrably false, he will just inject it everywhere. <laughs> so just, just let him run. The audience knows this by now. It's part of my charm. Like any good academic. <laughs> Listen, when, Mag- when Magneto shows up at the end of this movie in like that three-clip, that three-frame little fight club thing in the top right-hand corner, I will be... I will be, uh, <laughs> history will prove me right. So, yeah, um, but Avatar's examining Necron. With and a stethoscope. Learns, yeah. Cough, cough, <laughs> he, science he magic. uses the psychic connection or whatever to learn about Black Wolf's plan and Which reforms is... Necron as, he renames him Peace, and now he's a good guy. Yep. Listen up. 
evil minion. You don't actually like fighting. I'm going to get it in your brain and tell you how much you don't like fighting. And call, I'm going to give you a new name. Necron 99 was your slave name. This is, does this strike anybody else as incredibly hypocritical? The enemy but, here is a dream machine of propaganda, and he's straight up brainwashing him. At the same time, he enlists his help, but forces him to do it, saying that if he doesn't help, he will submit him to 20 years of torture. Yeah. yeah what, did he pull that number out of a hat? <laughs> 20 years? Okay. And and Peace, you know, he's speaking in sentence fragments. This is not an altogether guy. This is Lenny. Yeah. And we learn why. This is fucking Lenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's constantly struggling between Avatar's brainwashing and Black Wolf's brainwashing. But it, this is like the this is the most uncomfortable thing that Avatar ever does is he like brainwashes <laughs> one of the bad guys to work for him. But this is the weird thing that I think about Necron or Peace or whatever you want to call him is he's this iconic figure. He's like you said, he's on the cover and he's a character for like 10 minutes. He becomes a different character and he gets like four lines. Like yeah. what? Why is this guy important? <laughs> I, I mean, he's like, a, you know, in um, uh, in Info Metal Jacket about how in the second part of the movie, when it just starts, uh, Joker is wearing that helmet that has like a peace symbol and also a war mm-hmm. uh, attached to it or something like that. And they mm-hmm. are like, what the fuck were you? What, what the fuck are you wearing? And he's like, I think I was trying to say something about the duality of man. <laughs> <laughs> He's not sure. Yeah, yeah. He, he he doesn't quite know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's, that's sort of I think what I think the idea here is that Black Wolf is like is like um, in a in in a larger ideal I, I, ideal sense um, it represents the dark side of humanity, mm. whereas Avatar represents the good side, and both of these sides are sort of both in um necron's brain and he he gets cognitive dissonance about it making him incredibly ineffectual yeah Yeah. which leads back into the whole propaganda is good thing because it gets rid of these good impulses that make you so um so paralyzed by indecision Mm -hmm. that sounded great i'm gonna pat myself on the back i was trying to think in terms of like is necron peace like supposed to be some abstracted uh personification of soldiers and war as a whole but i'm not getting anywhere with oh, it so just, I'm gonna... just sort of this empty vessel <clears throat> waiting to be filled by propaganda until one side wins yeah, yeah. no that's a good it, way to put it it definitely says something about the lack of agency because <laughs> the other foot soldiers in this movie have personalities they are human but they're committing way worse atrocities mm-hmm. yeah which we see in, we see in the next scene i <laughs> almost wish that uh, avatar didn't threaten him at all I like the idea that he's, like, being brainwashed by both sides a little bit more mm-hmm. rather well, than in, being threatened into service. In the epic poem that is told in the future after the events of the movie, I'm sure they cut that part out. We get yeah. to see, like, the compromises that he's making. Yeah. yeah that's true. It's like, um, uh, have either of you ever heard of The Last Ring Bearer? Uh, no. It is I, a, in a way? <laughs> it's a Russian... That's not what that means, Ben. It's a Russian novel that is uh, retelling Lord of the Rings from Mordor's perspective. Oh, sort of like Wicked? Yeah. And it shows a very different, darker version of Aragorn and Gandalf, and especially Galadriel. And She was pretty creepy even in the, in the first movie in and of itself. Now imagine her as the vanguard of an invasion force. Done. 
There you go. She's not wearing anything. <laughs> ben. Total Braveheart situation. <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah. That, that would. I think you could do. You can actually do a whole movie of wizards from. Mm. I mean, I've been trying to do this the whole time up to this point, where Black Wolf is the good guy, mm-hmm. or at least the reasonable guy. He's, you know, yeah, they were trying to know. make a... Ralph Bakshi originally envisioned this as a trilogy, but mm-hmm. never got it off the ground. I, I think I'd be more into the idea of seeing the same movie, but from the opposite viewpoint. Which hmm. is very popular nowadays. I mean, we've got the Twilight from mm-hmm. Edward's perspective, and now... Do we? Do we, Bill? I try not to think about these things. I'm but... actually asking. I didn't realize yeah. that was a thing. <laughs> Let's... Let's move along. <laughs> yeah, let's get away from there. That's a hole we so, don't need to go down. Um, we get a panorama of all the lands that have been decimated by the attacks uh, while Eleanor sings some sort of fairy song. Mm. And, and you know, it's more of the same. Is this but when then the Jews we get this... show up? What? Is this when the Jews show up? Yeah, so this is part of Bakshi's thing where he zooms out and then zooms way in because we get this... You know, we see all this massive destruction, and then we see this one scene oh where God. the the this foot soldiers are coming so in, <laughs> and we 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 discover that Ralph Bakshi doesn't have the highest opinion of religion. <laughs> where these oh, two Can- priests of some undeclared religion kind of just jump around for a few hours. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is that they're trying to. I, I think the idea is that they're trying to stall because the 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 bad guys are going to, like, make them, I don't know, give them their blessing. There's something that only priests can do. So these priests, which are clearly Jewish people, decide to enact their daily ritual, which is <laughs> hopping up and down, saying gibberish, and spanking each other for five hours. It's fucking... This is so... This is super offensive. <laughs> and and worse, like, it doesn't... Like, the scene doesn't need to be there. It doesn't do anything. Like, it doesn't fit. It's like they're borrowing this scene from a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> That's exactly what they're doing. I, I can only assume that any religion that rises out of the ashes of our civilization will involve <laughs> spanking and Coca-Cola. It may- <laughs> no, it makes sense. After a few million years... Yeah. These holy relics of the past, and it's like a big old Coke sign. It's weird that they, like, re- resurrected Judaism in this totally, like humorous simulacrum sort of way but they got hitler totally right Mm. (laughs) like what the fuck's that about (laughs) but yeah this is i don't know it's like it would have been okay if it was like a fake religion and they were just doing like a goofy 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 people whom are of an indeterminate religion that we don't understand like in the future that'd be fine they're way too jewish to be okay here well they got the whole uh crucifixion scene in there too oh yeah they crucify one of them (laughs) Oh, yeah, like, so they do. Yeah, this like might they, actually be a, just an amalgamation of multiple religions. I think that it's supposed to be distorted folk memories of Christianity more than it is Judaism. It, I mean, it, it looks pretty Jewish to me. I, I felt a mix. Well, they blow them up, so, you yeah. know, all's well that ends well there. Yeah, yeah they're like, okay, let's let's not even worry about this. Let's just yeah. set everything on fire. Yeah. You know, and then we get a different scene. Like I said, like yeah. it doesn't belong here but no it like it, it probably could have been cut i kind of like it not in and of itself but i like that it's just showing us a bunch of little clips mm. from the from it from it behind enemy me, lines it gives me insight into where Bakshi was coming from yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah it's it's a pretty disturbing mm. mind space at times but 
In any but, case, the next but then scene we have that, reveals that scene that you mentioned where uh, Black earlier. Wolf is a baby daddy. Yeah, he he asks his what I assume is a sex slave. Probably um, has to be about his heir to be, and he's angry that it's going to be a mutant and threatens to have it killed. Mm-hmm. This is where the Magneto side comes into play because he has this speech about why can't his people like. Why why do we have to live in radiation land? Why can't we have, you know, a bountiful world to world to live off of as well? And here's the thing, you know, if if he's doing this magneto moment, if this is his impetus for everything to have a good land for his hypothetical normal child, hmm. how does killing everyone accomplish this? Well, they won't let the mutants into the clean land, so they got to exterminate the uh the people who are currently living there. Well, it's just it's but how like, could they let the mutants into the clean lands if they're so vi- Oh, I under Okay. No, yeah, you, I see the conflict now. <laughs> I see the allegory. You're you're missing the bigger picture, which is <laughs> no, there's I? such a No, there's such a logistic concern here that I can't explain away. Why does he 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 calls the mutants the master race but hates the idea of having a mutant child? I just don't get him. <laughs> Maybe it's a reference to how Hitler like thought of the Aryan race as pure but he himself was not blonde. <laughs> one of them self-hating anti-jews <laughs> is that what it is but yeah I, I i like that it's not all focusing on avatar i like that we occasionally see what black hawk is up to yeah who, who i'm pretty sure is not his name i'm i keep on calling him just random adjective random animal <laughs> so after we leave black walrus's palace <laughs> oh man dark stork <laughs> That's my favorite Mega Man villain. <laughs> um, Black Walrus? Yeah, so they, they go to the uh, Troubling Forest of Fairies. Yeah, um, and, uh, and What's-His-Face does not want to go in. Uh, oh, we talk, yeah. There's, there's this no, Peace doesn't want to go in. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fairies bad. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> Let me pet the rabbit, George. And Weehawk's like, yeah, I hate the fairies because I'm an elf, but I'm not a racist. <laughs> Yeah, so Weehawk is actually initially suspicious of peace because, like, this guy just assassinated our beloved president, (laughs) our mime president. So he's initially distrustful of peace, and they all go into the forest um, only to have Eleanor kidnapped Yeah, in, like, this fairy raid, which which Avatar, like, gets the fairies to stop, like... Essentially, all the fairies are doing is, like, just pissing them off. They're not really doing anything bad. Yeah, they're just Uh, being irritating. Yeah, exactly, as is their lot in life. And Avatar calls forth a storm, which is pretty sweet. Mm. Which is, like, the single biggest act of magic you see him perform in the entire film. (laughs) Yeah. And it's wasted on these fairies who just immediately dispel it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of them, like, winks like easy granddad it's it's the king of the fairies sean (laughs) (laughs) sean skywalker like he didn't get the memo about how names work here (laughs) they don't i love it when this happens they don't even spell mark hamill's name right in the end credits no (laughs) that's amazing what do they call him they drop the second l off his last name mark hamil yes okay Um, but yeah, but they, uh, as a as a weird little animation beat, um, the Ralph actually likes butts. Does he? Yeah, like the fairy's pants fall off a couple of times. We just got through a spanking scene, like 
two is a coincidence, right? But <laughs> we'll, we'll see if there's a pattern later on in the movie. Well, so, um, I think sorry, Eleanor is a uh, makes that more than just a coincidence, just by per- her very nature. So. Yeah, there's a, that weird undressing scene of one of the of one of the prisoners later. Mm. But uh, oh yeah. Anyway, in chasing Eleanor, Weehawk falls into some sweet psycho smoke and gets shot by a <laughs> poltergeist. <laughs> But he like he so doesn't cool. sound the least bit distressed. He's like he he tells Avatar go rescue Eleanor, but he like doesn't sound upset. Yeah, he no. just he tires himself swinging at nothing and then is almost eaten by a giant smoke uh, smoke machine poison spider. It's pretty weird. Yeah, <laughs> smoke bug. Um, but as it turns out, Peace didn't betray them. Uh, in the midst of the battle, when he ran off. He like yeah. gra- Peace grabbed the gun that he- someone had dropped and ran off with it, and we realized that Peace didn't actually betray them, um, because he comes back and saves Weehawk from the smoke bug. Yeah, and- it's just kind of filler to get them out of the way of Eleanor and uh, what's his face Avatar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is where Peace starts to develop some character for me. You can see him struggling to talk and move, like he's fighting his own programming, which you know he kind of is. Yeah. Um, and this is where it was made clear to me without someone explaining it. So that was effective given the limited animation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, Eleanor has been captured by Sean. fairies who think she's a traitor. This kidnap scene is actually kind of badass. <laughs> I don't know how you guys saw it. It seemed awesome to me. I was a little confused. The uh, Once she's like held prisoner is pretty uh, pretty well done, I thought. It, it makes her look like a King Kong bride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, she, she, in to her credit, she's not just damsel in distress. She she rolls the dice and activates some fairy magic. Yeah. Which is not a thing I knew she could do, and she <laughs> doesn't apparently either. <laughs> well, the first <laughs> activation is like a blast of energy from her crotch. But since- yeah. yeah. <laughs> since- Power of love, bitch. <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to say that as explicitly. <laughs> I actually, like, must have blocked it out. I don't remember. I only remember her, like, manifesting, like, this swamp gargoyle. Yeah. Um, Which immediately turned on her. Yes. Sometimes that happens. That's that's the price for fairy magic. Sometimes, if, you know, if you, go at, if you go to a poker table and in the first half hour you can't spot the sucker, you're the sucker. Mm. This is that um, sort of situation. But, uh, but, but Avatar, Avatar does shows show up. up. Yes, Avatar shows up and pleads with the king of the fairies to spare her so this, that they can complete their mission. This is a nice bit of subtle courage and tact that shows us that Avatar is actually very wise mm. in, in some circumstances. Because the king, uh, you know, one of the one of the elves shoots Avatar in the arm, and it's already been established that Avatar could fuck their shit up, <laughs> but instead he just asks for their forgiveness again and doesn't fly off the handle. Mm. It's pretty cool. And you've got that serious comedy dichotomy going again because you've got Eleanor, you know, come on, Avatar, hurry it up. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. While he's, you know, engaging in politics with the king. I was I was really impressed by the politics here. Like, they're engaging in a diplomatic solution in a way that Dark Wolf absolutely does not do business. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, is that Avatar, you know, he makes his case. He explains, oh, we all have to band together, etc. We don't mean you any harm. And then Black Wolf shows up for like two seconds, 
like in a vision and says like he's a liar and that's <laughs> like this is your point counterpoint and the king's still like we're not gonna take sides here you're both equally, equally good it's not that they're equally good it's that they just don't want to get messed up in in this yeah. war business yeah but yeah uh it, it follows by uh avatar and uh eleanor absconding away into hoth so you know See, that's I thought good that they were I thought that they were teleported by the King of the Fairies. Were they? I don't know. I couldn't this actually is... tell how, how they got from place to place on this and one. And we should mention, these are different fairy kings than the one before. Like, the jump between different scenes and biomes has all the subtlety and speed of a bad D&D game. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, now you're here. I yeah. Mean, the we way... can fast forward past this part where you're trekking through the garden. There are no garden gnomes. The way I interpret it is Sean, Mark Hamill's character, is a high-ranking fairy, but not the king. The one with the beard who conducts the diplomacy is the king. And then he... Oh. I thought they were two different fairy camps. I don't think so. <laughs> because, uh, remember, Avatar has to explain, you know, no, we didn't kill Sean. Uh -huh. you know, we're not the traitors here. We didn't even kill Fritz, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's just the one kingdom, and Sean was like a prince or something. Luckily, none of this actually matters, because we never see <laughs> yeah, him again. It, yeah, <laughs> It's weird, because at this point, you're like two-thirds through the movie, and I'm like, when is anything going to happen? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's pretty meandering, like... You do get the sort of uh, trek toward Mordor sort of sort of plot line, but it doesn't seem like things are actually transpiring on the way. Yeah. So it, there's there's a little bit weird a weird pacing thing here that just like nothing seems to be happening. Mm. Um, we just I, I didn't mind it. Like going back through my memory, this was like one of my favorite scenes. Is you know, random diplomacy at the OK Corral with fairies. It's pretty yeah. cool. I don't know. But uh, anyway, they start trekking across cold, cold land, um, and the setting gets a lot bleaker. Mm -hmm. But uh, the music stays the same. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Still Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> I thought this was kind of a missed opportunity for, like, having... Because they had that real bleak moment where they're kind of resigned to their deaths, and it could have been coupled really nicely with a bit of a somber tone. But that didn't happen. Nope. Wawa paddle. Yep. <laughs> also, Avatar rewards Eleanor for pulling an arrow out of him by dressing her. Yes, he gives her a poncho. <laughs> yeah, they're You've still not wearing more shoes. clothing. <laughs> Level up. Oh, uh, that is some fun little bit of role play there. Um, but, luckily, but they're they're found they're found by Weehawk and Peace. Can we can we just stop for a second? Because I didn't realize this before. I love the name Weehawk. It's pretty good. I, I don't know why, but I just think it's awesome. It reminds you of the chicken hawk from uh, Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, they they do find them before they, you know, uh, careen over and have to slice open a tauntaun or something. I'm sorry I talk about Star Wars so much today. I'm not actually that big of an a Star Wars guy. It just seems like this this sort of uh, this sort of fantasy setting was sort of all the rage at the time, mm. and and I just saw a lot of similarities. But uh, they do abscond into a nice warm cave, and yeah, the, there's there's some more narrating that goes on as, as sort of a breather, you know? We, we've been trekking this far, and now, now we're ready for the second half of our journey, where they have to go through... 
I think the narrator kind of like skips over the part where they go through the swamp and they get tossed insult by the by Black Wolf's minions wives. Yeah. What what a cool little detail that is. Mm-hmm. Like all I think the men I didn't fully catch that. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. They go through a swamp and uh Black Wolf's soldiers have wives that they left behind. That's, you know, super relevant to wartime stuff. Like even though they're not the soldiers of their ideological war, the wives still internalize the propaganda to the point at which they're hurling insults and rocks at uh, Avatar's crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very clearly a parallel to families of soldiers in wartime. So they, uh, they must and... also have seen the Hitler video. <laughs> and then they're in a desert. Well, they meet, they meet up with Abdul. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of, for me, where the film starts to get sketchy and really underplotted. Yeah. <laughs> It, yeah, they they yeah. meet desert elves and have a feast, and I get a sense of deja vu because I feel like this has already happened twice. This movie, yeah, they like feasts. Um, Abdul talks of assaulting Black Wolf soon, so we see that although Avatar was like sort of trying to do like this subterfuge thing and take him out on the sly, take out the mm. the propaganda machine, um, the forces of man are rallying around him and also just going to well elves and they're going to assault Black Hawk because they don't Black Wolf because they don't know how powerful this propaganda machine is. Yeah, and he insists that Avatar join their efforts. And Avatar punches him in the fucking face. Yeah. Just decks him. <laughs> this is how I do magic. <laughs> and then Abdul just goes into his tent while no, like he the tone it off. of the, the he tone loves of, it. Yeah, the tone he, of his voice is very like, you know, still very supportive of Avatar, still wants him in the army. But he's saying, you know, Avatar's gonna assault Black Wolf with a woman child, one elf, and a moron robot. Yeah, moron like robot. He, like he starts off his own line about how he used to think of Avatar as this messiah, and then he kinda talks himself down out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and the it, way he describes taking like these three people into the in to fight this war it it sort of underlines the fact that you can't have a nice war it's going mm. to have casualties you're a fool for thinking that it can't right and uh and avatar expresses something like regret when abdul talks about him slaying his brother mm-hmm. so which which is interesting like this is kind of a big turning point where avatar is starting to weigh the possibility of succeeding without assimilating some of his brother's uh, negative warlike attributes. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I saw it on Recollection. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that uh, if that hits with you guys at all. I wish we'd gotten more dialogue from Avatar in this scene. Like, I would have liked to have heard his take on all the Messiah stuff that Abdul was spouting. And his yeah. recollections of, you know, their grandfather, uh, elf's grandfather's war against the mutants it's interesting you'd think that avatar based on his sort of slumming it up bachelor lifestyle would love the would love the fame and attention but he really doesn't pay it any mind avatar's shift from lighthearted to serious is is it's hard to pin down but i would say this is definitely the turning point even though it's not focused on him i think the next scene is the turning point for him and all of a sudden it occurs to me that avatar is obi-wan kenobi Going back to Star please Wars. explain yourself. <laughs> I need to <laughs> you know, hear this. He was a general and a leader in the last war, and now he's you know has this reputation as kind of a crazy old hermit. 
and now he's going in to try and stop the evil overlord with his ultimate weapon. Yeah. He's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And was he, there he like, straight up uh, tries to commit suicide later in the movie, yeah. so that there's that. Was there like a movie in the 50s that every director in the 70s happened to see and it just informed them? Yeah, it was called World War II, Zane. <laughs> Okay. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, stepped in a big pile of it. Jeez. <laughs> but um, in the night, Black Wolf attacks with a formless demon, and Avatar forces it back. He fends it off with spiral magic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so cool, but I'm just like, oh, spiral magic. And uh, apparently Peace is bucking his reprogramming, and Black Wolf is trying to reach them through him. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's always kind of been implicit based on the fact that Peace can't really form sentences. <laughs> but it's, it's explicitly busy. stated now. And, and Eleanor tries to share his burden, tries to help him, but she she's not used to this. She can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And she breaks his concentration, letting the demon in. Yeah, yeah. into Eleanor, because a tank shows up. Um, and Peace jumps on top of it and starts to fend off a tank by his own damn self because he's <laughs> sweet. Sweet Red Bender is really yeah. doing, his, doing his damnedest. And Eleanor just throws a knife at him and him in the joins back. the tank. And absconds away in the tank. And I love how little information the audience is given here. Yeah, because yeah, they don't explain until later exactly how mm. she's being, you know, controlled. It, yeah. It's not just that. They, they don't give any, like, facial cues that Eleanor mm. is, like, she doesn't like look back sorrowfully or say it had to happen. She doesn't. We don't get anything. Nope. And peace just deflates, yeah. which goes yeah. back to him being <laughs> what the exactly empty vessel. Are robots made out of existing in this, <laughs> in this world. No, I, I, Bill, I like that idea of an empty vessel. You're you're absolutely right. I get. Uh, yeah, that's actually super true. Based on how we've been talking about peace being like this ideologue balloon. Yeah, and I mean I. Feel like we get more people throwing swords in this movie than actually swinging them the way they're which i'm to so happy about uh, do, you, do you guys recall how the swords are thrown is it done like a lateral spiral or are they it's done an overhand it, yeah. it's is it done like a ass over tea kettle it, it's yeah. like they're throwing darts it's just much bigger but do they rotate like do mm. they do they do they spin up over backwards style? i don't know no i don't think so so uh <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a second here and tell you guys all about the last witch hunter, uh, with Vin Diesel. So okay. <laughs> I watched this movie recently, and the coolest part of it was when Vin Diesel decides to, you know, fight the witch queen by throwing his sword like a lateral football, and lightning <laughs> strikes it in midair. <laughs> okay, is that animated? Huh? It might as well have been. <laughs> That's our next movie. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Last Witch Hunter, if you guys have a taste for, like, overly, o- over-the-top action fantasy movies, this is pretty fun. Sounds good. Keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, so Eleanor, you know, Avatar's basically the only companion that we know he has from the beginning of the movie, as well as, quote-unquote, his love interest. She just went away with the enemy without any explanation, and it sort of fucks up Avatar's mind. Yeah, it totally breaks him. He starts behaving very, very erratically. He's like mumbling and making flowers in this really ostentatious way mm. when they yeah. reach like the enemy stronghold. 
and I like how strongly he's affected because I wasn't particularly invested in Eleanor or Peace at this point. Totally. So it's nice to see, like, oh, no, this this does matter for somebody in this universe. Yeah. It makes me think that Avatar has never gone through this sort of betrayal before. Um, or that it's reminding him of Black uh, of, of Black Wolf's sort of betrayal of him, or much earlier. Like this is this is a this is a tender spot for him. Yeah, for I'm imagining uh, Avatar has probably been kind of in his tower since he drove Black Wolf out. He probably hasn't done much in the last couple thousand years, except mm. sit home and be cushy with his scotch and cigar. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> man. Uh, he actually makes it like a line later. He's like, hey, you know, scotch is nice, too. <laughs> <laughs> Avatar's so funny for so many reasons. Uh, it's, a, but, it's, uh, it's a nice opportunity for Weehawk to kind of be the backbone of, of the fighting force because he picks up the slack. He, like, he, uh, he has to he step guides up him. when Avatar he, is, like, letting him down and kind of going crazy a little bit, like, at the yeah. worst possible moment. He, he has them join the resistance and, and he leads Avatar ashore and he keeps him focused while they try to sneak into the city. Yeah, and the city looks like the sort of slums that a country allows in wartime. You know, priorities are shifting away from civil liberties and so there's lots of drinking and wenching and violence going on. Um, at, one, at one point a fairy starts to strip off her clothing for some aggressive mutants, which is... Which is a nice little touch. And we also get some not-so-subtle reminders about how everyone's a Nazi. <laughs> uh, they even refer to Black Wolf as the Fuhrer. Yeah, his great Fuhrer Black Wolf. In case you didn't get it by this point. It, it is it is so thick the way he, he lays it on, but I don't dislike it. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need the subtle... Like, I was saying how like there might be two sides to Black Wolf, and he's, he's trying to impress very hard that that's not the point of the movie. Yeah. The right. point is that Black Wolf is the bad guy, and here's some more corroborating evidence for you. Mm-hmm. And what I like is is Avatar tries to reform these people. He's trying to say like, "No, I'm tired of war. Let's let's be." Because he, you know, his mind's addled at this point. But yeah, there's like some Alzheimer's metaphors. Even mm-hmm. he doesn't really well, I, understand I think what's going on. I think he's trying to make. I think Bakshi's trying to make fun of people who are like, oh. you can't fight the bad guys. You can't hug your children with nuclear arms. Yeah, thanks, Ben. If, if you want to say it like that, <laughs> you can't hug your children with skeleton biceps. The hell, I can't. <laughs> and uh, and Weehawk has to help him out and karate's dude's head off. Yeah, yeah. this is. I love this scene. This is so cool. First of all, because there's some more seventies porno music, but. Uh, <laughs> Secondly, because Avatar blows their cover and Weehawk just gets a nice ass-kicking scene. Mm-hmm. Man, it's... I don't know. I, I, I like Weehawk's character, even though he, his function is comparatively small in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know the ass-kicking scene culminates in uh, Avatar coming to his senses. A little bit. <clears throat> By the way, yeah. in in any DVD of any movie, one of the scene selections should always be the ass-kicking scene. <laughs> I think that would be really great. Yes. And uh, Avatar comes back from his, uh, from his, from his doldrums in, in, with this awesome line where he says something like, The world owes you much, kid, even if we don't take another step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and earlier he says to Eleanor, "Yeah, we tried. That's really all an, anyone can do." 
Um, and it reminds you that Avatar is like thousands of years old and has like this profound Confucius-like wisdom. It's so weird, you know, as you said earlier, hearing these nuggets of wisdom come out of this shabby little goofball. It's so much more affecting than Gandalf, who's just as wise, but somehow, like, he's less of a character and more of, like, I don't know. He's not really a character so much as an ideal, like, a wizard in the movie. Mm -hmm. But you have someone who's, like, flawed with all of his vices. He doesn't always have it together when he, like, gets slapped in the face with a betrayal. Avatar's very textured. This leads in, then, to the, uh, to Avatar and Weehawk's assault on Black Wolf's castle. That's, that's generously speaking. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, we, we get a, we get another door. fight scene. Yeah, the the forces of each army are now amassing. Ah, shit! There's there's sirens going on. I apologize, oh, guys. You you've had sirens for a bit, Ben. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I'm putting a marker down. But yeah, but the the troops prepare for battle, and the battle takes like five minutes. Yeah, like yeah. I like I like the artsiness of it, and it's very effective. But I just kind of got lost in the zone. Uh, yeah, there's there's a. Whenever I would go to, like, juggling conventions, I would be enthralled for about 30 minutes, and then I would just kind of get, uh, I would just get used to being enthralled, and it just would lose some of the fire to it. So that's sort of happened here. But that being said, this is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. One point in its favor is the fact that you don't just get, like, Nazi propaganda, you don't just get tanks, you get tanks... You get demon warriors riding giant lizards. Some, you something get evil, knights. something evil, something evil. You get knights on horseback. You get some Zulu infantry. Like, just With, everything. I love how many of these rotoscope demons are just... You can still tell what movie they were taken from. Yeah. They just added horns. <laughs> totally. <laughs> the, uh... I, this is such a cool way to set up a fight with the silhouettes because, uh, like, the cartoon transitions are still a bit too jarring, but they do accomplish this nice contrast. Like, it gives you a sense of scale. It, it gives you bigness without having to look at all the detail. You know, if you look at a cartoon horde or even, like, if you look at one of the hordes in Lord of the Rings, you kind of lose yourself. But this just amorphous size and scope of the rotoscoping just, just uh, it hits you. Yeah. yeah. I like the little sci-fi and modern versus fantasy and medieval vignettes. Mm. Like, I, and, I, and I was like impressed at how long it went on. Like, oh, we got some some guy gunning down a, a bunch of people who are coming at him with knives, and we got like this uh, this barbarian guy jumping on the back of of this of this of this melted turkey lizard or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just really cool. Like, it just keeps going. It just gives you more and more stuff that I want to see, which is fantasy versus sci-fi fight mm. and I, I wish more movies took the time to show me cool mini fights in quick succession without having like a Lord of the Rings style camera shake to muck them up and that's a big issue I have with like modern fantasy movies is I can't the tell fight what's going on at Helm's Feet as Helm's Deep mm. I don't fucking know and it's just because, and like we've talked about this before, Bill, that it's just easier to film that way because um, you don't have you, you can only have like four seconds at a time where yeah. you're where you're filming, and then you just then you just mash them all up. But my mm. favorite ones are where you have like a ten minute scene that's being filmed. Mm. Have you seen Have you seen Children of Men? I have not. There's this one scene at the end where they're in a war zone and they're trying to like make it to the 
make it to the other side. And the camera just follows him as bombs are going off and like people are, are reacting to him. And I, the mind reels at how hard it must have been to set that up as one take. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Old Boy. Yes, I think so. There's a, there's a South Korean version and then there's also an American version and the South Korean one's much better. As is usually the case. Yes. <laughs> um, and there's this one scene where he is essentially assaulting his own imprisonment area from however long ago. And there's 50 fucking guys and he fights them all in like this 2D, two-dimensional side-scrolling nonsense. <laughs> but it looks so cool because it keeps going. Right, right. Do you guys have anything else to say about, like, the, the fight scene? I know it, we're just saying, like, random fight scene stuff. It, it has to be seen to be believed. They take their time. Yeah, and it, I love the way it flows back and forth. You know, you've got elves assaulting demons. You've got demons assaulting elves. Mm-hmm. There's one point where an elf chops down a demon and picks up his gun and starts killing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I've always taken that as part of the uh, moral neutrality of technology. Mm-hmm. But I can also see it now as you know, the degradation of ideals in wartime. Yeah, that. I mean, that's how I took it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's well, yeah. <laughs> but, it's a dense movie. Mm-hmm. It's definitely definitely a lot to it. I like how it's the fact ending. That a lot of it's kind of expanded. Yeah, like the middle was a little bit soggy in the forest, but this ending is so good. <laughs> like for the last yeah. twenty minutes of the movie, everything just rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Avatar and Weehawk sneak up. On Black Wolf, and and Weehawk goes to destroy the projector, and um, Avatar confronts his brother. Yeah, really, really flamboyantly. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, like he speedballs being super serious into being super silly. Like he, he knows it's his job, so he 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 tells Weehawk, "If you see Eleanor, tell her that Avatar will die with her tonight, even if we win." And then he saunters up to Black Hawk and he goes, "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> You over there. <laughs> this is the best moment in the whole movie. It caught me so off guard. <laughs> he does one of those like patented like like little back and forth waves. <laughs> trying to get his attention. I love where uh, Black Wolf says, you know, there's no need for us to fight. Surrender. Surrender your world. And Avatar just starts clapping. And you always did need an audience. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, so very, good. Very good. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good performance. You were always like this in, when we had the same bunk bed. <laughs> Thaddeus, don't call me that. Um, but but the payoff to this scene doesn't come just yet. We, That's true. We have we have Weehawk attacking Eleanor for her betrayal. Um, yeah, and Black the, Wolf this... sex slave from earlier stops him and explains like, oh no, uh, Black Wolf was controlling her. Yeah, I'd like to point out that Weehawk, somewhat incongruously, just sees her and immediately calls her a slut. <laughs> yeah. Again, not a very progressive... Like, I'm not sure what being it. a slut has to do with this. <laughs> it sort of echoes the one-size-fits-all sexist labels of the 70s, but I just, I just thought that was, like that again, like kind of spun my head around. I just wasn't expecting it. Yeah, it seemed unnecessary. I love where the sex slave... Uh, clearly has a baby in her arms mm-hmm. and is clearly making her own break for freedom in a story yeah. that we're not privy to except yeah. where she And we stops. don't find the closure to. Yeah. No, we don't we find out what happened. baby there. was going to die if he if she stayed with him. Mm-hmm. So it's like 
it's like her hand is being forced. Okay, now that I, I'm, it's not just my own life that's at that's in danger. It, it's this child that I want to care for, and we don't get any of it. <laughs> ah, it's so good. Wizards two, Fury Road. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get to Wizards two. Oh man, or the but, Wizard. Um, so, but now now we get the uh, climax. Well, not quite yet because Eleanor reveals that Nightwolf has been in her mind too. Which I didn't kind of know he could just straight up and possess people. We didn't realize this earlier on when uh, when she betrayed everyone that it was actually Nightwolf that was doing it. Yeah, she, he he got her when she touched peace to like ease his burden. I mm. thought that that whole mind control thing was a tech thing. I wasn't aware that like I don't know. I guess there are two parts. Two, two ways this could work, which is that it's not a tech thing, it's a magic thing, or that uh, Eleanor is part robot. And I like that one better, <laughs> yeah, it definitely even, doesn't it makes, seem... even though it makes no sense. Mind control is definitely more of a necromancy kind of thing. I suppose. Unless you're Avatar, in which case it's, you know, reprogramming. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the showdown. <laughs> this is... This is absolutely beautiful. This is brilliant. Uh, Bill, can you can you drag us through this? It's so good. Hey, so they do their little spiels back and forth. And <clears throat> Avatar is still kind of doing the goofy, senile old man bit. And... <laughs> yeah, just kind of making fun of the main villain as he's doing his villain speech. Like, to his face. <laughs> Let me show you a trick mom taught me when you weren't around. Does like the nothing up his sleeve move. Pulls out a Luger, not just a <laughs> handgun, a specifically German handgun, and shoots Black Wolf in the chest. Twice! <laughs> Incredible. And then he just leaves. <laughs> this is amazing, because nothing in the sh- in this movie has led up to it, but it all makes sense yeah. in retrospect. Mm. Yeah, like, in the way that I'm taking it, where he's leaving behind more and more of his ideals, that he's finally come to the point where not only is he murdering his brother, he's doing it with science and tech. Mm. It's so cool. <laughs> but more to the point, like, for the audience, who was expecting this climactic, like, magic showdown oh, it's been built up the entire movie yeah and he just shoots the guy <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's incredible it's also like this so amazing like what if saruman was talking to groucho marx sort of fight it's it's yeah. incredible the the just the contrast between the, how they carry themselves and you mentioned that it's a luger like there's detail and weight to this gun mm. and we've never seen that sort of thing in conjunction with the Avatar before. He's he's always been apart from it or near it, but he's never been holding it. Yeah. And it, it just looks visually incongruous. Especially since every other gun we've seen in the entire movie is like sci-fi goofball yeah. cartoon <laughs> gun. Most of them are laser cannons. Yeah. It's a blaster. Yeah, with like, uh, with like trumpet bugles at the end of them. Yeah. And then you pull out a Luger. It's like... <laughs> That's almost as incongruous as just Avatar pulling a gun in the first place. Oh, it's 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 so good though. Like uh, that means he had the gun for centuries. He yes. must have. He been, he'd been waiting for it. He knew this was how he would win. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, he says as much. He can't win in a wizard fight. And remember, he he beat Black Wolf once before, mm. and it was because he had that emotional loss of his mother. Uh, yeah. Like he had an he ideal. Care. 
now Black Wolf has an ideal, and it puts them on a more even playing field. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, then the movie ends. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it doesn't quite end. The castle explodes, which makes about as much sense as the movie just stopping there. I, I really but... thought that Avatar was just going to kind of go down with the ship at this point. You know, he sacrificed everything to accomplish his mission, and... I thought he was just going to be like, no, I've seen too much. I have to, I have to, it's time for me to die. But he's just like, oh, yeah, time to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, Ben, why would he go down with the ship when he can spend the rest of his life with Thong Fairy? Yeah, like, and they're apparently a couple and want to get married in a way that I didn't, wasn't aware for the entire rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Not um, only that, they go off to found their own kingdom. Which means Eleanor is completely abdicating her responsibilities to the Kingdom of Montagar. No, to be honest, the Wee Hawk makes a much better ruler. <laughs> he gets shit done. I can't argue with that. No, that's <laughs> that's fair. It's interesting. There's a bit here where they uh, they where they run into one of Black Wolf's minions, and Avatar tells Wee Hawk to do no harm to them. This because they were just following orders? Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is like... <laughs> yeah. They just didn't know about the Nuremberg trials or anything. I thought that was incredible. I like... Like, if I wasn't already thinking and thinking back to, you know, the historical events and what it all means and all the symbolism of this movie, that hit me and I'm like, wait, was that the moral? <laughs> I forget what the point of this movie was. I think the idea is that now that the war is over, we can go back to our peacetime ideals. But you really can't do that. Yeah, it's not like it's not like the movie forgot that symbolism by this point because the narrator <laughs> even says Hitler was dead again. Yeah, really, not, wizards. Not Black Wolf. Is that your Hitler. angle? <laughs> is that the way you want to play this one, wizards? <laughs> so oh, does that make just... Avatar a reincarnated Churchill? I think so. By the way, you might have not been privy to this. Uh, I wanted Dan to go dressed up as as Churchill, as we we, we mentioned this in the previous episode. <laughs> he wants to go as Taft, but I think Churchill's a good fit, or uh, Anthony Antonin Scalia. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> just oh, throwing man. him out there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the this idea of just following orders, it's somehow feels more okay in this animation because you can see oh no yeah he was clearly mind controlling people with propaganda but mm. when you think about it in its real world context you're like yeah. no that's no excuse uh, it, it yeah, like makes you think about it because it's abstractified it mm -hmm. and, and they're like all of black wolf's minions are so befuddledly ignorant of everything that's going on like right. at one point, I think it talks about the two of them, and like there's like two gas mask idiots like talking to each other, and one of them's like, "I don't want, I want the fighting to stop, I want the killing to end." Yeah. Um, in a really rare moment where Black Wolf's minions are are humanized, so it, it is a little bit. You, you didn't see that stuff in Nazi era stuff. Like it might have happened, but you just didn't see it, and it doesn't absolve them of the crimes, even if you did. Mm. And with that one. Who uh, was I don't want to fight anymore. Everyone's got a right to life. You'll notice how quickly he backsteps on that as soon as he's told Black Wolf has a secret weapon. We can't lose. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Everybody wants peace when they're under the gun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until they have propaganda telling them that uh, that they're that they're working towards something greater, I guess. 
Yeah, what a film. And And that right there is the end of Wizards. And, you know, I, I didn't think that I liked this movie after watching it. I was looking at it, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> but after talking about it with you guys, I can definitely see a lot more meaning. And I'm still actually not sold that I like it, but it's definitely thought-provoking. I mean, I love it not for any sort of meaning, but just because it's so unusual. I, I yes. apologize, uh, Bill, if you expected to come in and, like, talk about how cool it was and we went into, like, this Magneto thing. <laughs> or I... if you came into this expecting to talk about, like, symbolism and you were and we were all like, uh, yeah, guns, kicking the heads off of people. Sick. <laughs> kicking his fucking head off. <laughs> I came in with no expectations. And that's what we delivered. That is a wise yeah. way to approach our product. <laughs> um, uh, Zane, I think I did like this movie quite a bit. I don't think it's... Yeah. It's not as polished as it could be, but it's, like, raw in the same way that, like, Clerks is raw. Like, it, it, it benefits from a low budget and a singular vision. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'm glad that that vision couldn't be diluted by sequels. You mentioned that it was meant to be a trilogy, and I think the second film was supposed to be about, like, oh, Avatar and Eleanor are getting together, getting but Weehawk is going to get in between. Yeah, like, no, that's what they, that's what they were Nobody needs that. I need more Weehawk adventures. <laughs> Weehawk Adventures would be a good show. We- Weehawk and Avatar, just kind of just kind of doing their thing. And that that that's a good comedic duo right there. Um, I would absolutely be up for a sequel that's just like, like the like Light Hawk or or Light Wolf or whatever. Mm. Like that's how he thinks of himself. Mm. But uh, but yeah, I this this movie's really good. I'm so glad that we got the chance to watch it. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any kind of closing remarks about either in like something that you thought about the tone that you didn't get to express or some animation beats that didn't get discussed or something about the music? I will say that I'm glad you both kind of came in blind with this. I understand it was recommended to you and neither one of you had ever ever heard of it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that you got to come in with no like i don't know how much my mom will like that i was empathizing with new hitler at the beginning but (laughs) (laughs) probably not great probably not so good (laughs) i mean my introduction to the film was actually like seeing the box art in a video store Mm, not really knowing with with red bender yes then that man yeah i I first time i saw this movie was on vhs so yeah (laughs) Not really knowing anything about it, and then a couple years later, coming across it, like a review of it on the movie site that inspired me to start doing movie reviews, mm. and reading that, that, and then going to see it. Uh, badmovies.org is Tells the website. Tells you everything you need to... And they did a review of this? Yes. This isn't a bad movie, though. It's a cult movie. Um, the author Which of the site think... uses bad movie as kind of like a... It's a catch-all term, yeah. Like good, bad, and bad, bad yeah. are lumped in together. It's a catch-all to differentiate from, yeah, now, but, saving but Have Ryan. you seen any of Bakshi's other movies? Uh, Fire and Ice is... How is that? It's very weird to watch because it's all kind of that rotoscoped, you know, animation painted over live footage. Hmm. Um, like in its entirety, like they filmed actors going through the physical motions. 
lens. Mm-hmm. And then oh, painted. we've dealt with rotoscoping like crazy. Um, yeah, we we did um, Scanner Darkly. Okay. Have you ever watched that? I have not. If you like rotoscoping and or Keanu Reeves, give it a shot. And Robert Downey Jr. as the biggest pathological liar you can imagine. It's, 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 it's sublime. Fantastic. That movie does for addiction what this movie does for war. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, good way of putting it. Like, it, it has a lot, a lot of facets to it. It's amazing how well uh, Bakshi conveyed all the different facets of war. Maybe not, like, purposefully, but, like, any good work of art, we all took different things from it. Like, you know that it was intentional. Even the parts, like you said, where it, it seems like he's going back on the message, like, when Avatar uses technology. Or when the Jews have a spanking contest, yes. Or when, all of the, the cinematic moments of <laughs> there's a deeper meaning there that was intended. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very valuable thing to be able to look at a movie and say, oh, I can see that a lot of care went into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of, I think, one of Bakshi's uh, key themes is just the amount of detail and care he puts into every project. You know, everything is a labor of love for him. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Like, like I said at the beginning, he mm-hmm. wanted to transform the medium into mm-hmm. something more adult, more counterculture, more respectable. That, that's mm-hmm. sort of what we got with um, with Bioshock by uh, Ken Levine, uh, because it, it was a, it's an auteur vision um, mm-hmm. where it's like it, it's just the one guy really. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's not the only one who worked on it, but he's kind of was the one pulling all the strings and authoring the whole thing, and it really comes across in the message. I thought it was also interesting the way that Bakshi just kind of juggled multiple dichotomous ideals at the same time. The whole medieval, modern, science, fantasy, uh, nature versus civilization nonsense. And just in you know the time we've been talking, an idea has been kind of spinning around in the back of my mind. And I, I would bet money that this was not intentional on Bakshi's part. Okay. But with the rotoscoped war footage from various movies, mm. you know, uh, the Russian film Alexander Nevsky, you can see both German and Russian knights, you know, both sides of that fight <laughs> transformed into demons. Uh, I love. Oh, that's great. I love that one rotoscope part where, like, there's just, like, this precipice, like, this cliffside, mm. and, like, a couple of like warriors sped up like tw- twice as fast and and uh and silhouetted and they're just kind of like waving their arms and then run back <laughs> i don't know why I, I think that looks so cool but i i can't imagine that bakshi was seriously using that to argue you know war makes demons of us all yeah i think it was just you know this is the battle footage he has no that he did a great job of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you can actually, if you really wanted to be this uh, pedantic about it, you can also take this uh, in, in a meta way that um, that what he's doing is kind of propagandizing toward us, but, you know, for the opposite side. Mm. I, I don't know how far you can actually take that, but it's hard not to... When you see something talking about propaganda, my mind immediately goes to, is this hypocrisy? Yeah. <laughs> is <laughs> Like, was this created by one of, you know... Zionist revolution, <laughs> or or whatever neo Nazis call Jewish people. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's that's a fair argument to make because you know he's propagandizing. I don't think it's the case war. here, but you you could mm. if you wanted to. 
I'm absolutely going to make that case. Uh, <laughs> well, then that's headcanon Great. now. What what kind of uh, what kind of projection are you going to play across the battlefield, Charlie Chaplin? <laughs> yeah, Charlie Chaplin and the Great Dictator giving the speech, denouncing oh. war. That's great. <laughs> and and now just lasers are coming out of him. <laughs> just instead of everyone cowering, they all just start doing like uh doing silent comedy routines. <laughs> just dueling projections on both sides of the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like a Godzilla movie. <laughs> I think we've I think we've invented a new art form. <laughs> Renovated propaganda. <laughs> um well, this conversation got a little away from us, I think, I but that is Wizards. It started away from um, us. Yeah, this uh, it's, that that is Wizards. Um, it was I, I vastly enjoyed it. There's so much here. Um, I give it. I, I if I was the sort of person to give recommendations to our audience, I would definitely give it for this. I fully recommend this to any historian of animation, fan of animation. You know, someone who just wants to see something different. Nazi, Nazi symbolism, Tolkien. Like, <laughs> if you like anything, you'll probably like parts of this. Yeah. Star Wars. I I think it's definitely worth watching, and I think the more effort you put into watching it, the more you'll get out of it. Mm. Yeah. I, but I it's definitely worth observing just, just for the style, just how different it is. Well, much like A Scanner Darkly, I, I knew that this was such a cult classic that I kind of went in with open arms and blank page. And just like took as much as I could get, which is definitely the way you want to approach this. Um, Bill, I want to say once again, thank you so much for joining us on yeah. this, the 52nd of our episodes. Uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, your expertise was really helpful uh, in figuring out some, some of this, uh, some of the more obscure parts of his message. <laughs> his being Ralph Bakshi's or mine? <laughs> yeah. And. <laughs> Audience, if you like the obscure parts of our message, um, <laughs> awesome segue. We're not we're not quite there yet, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bill, you are always welcome on. If you ever have a cartoon that you want to look at, or even a different movie, let us know, and we would be happy to have you on again. It's always more fun with like a third person to yeah. bounce ideas off of. Absolutely, I'll be in touch. Yeah, I'm sure I can think of something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, oh, open invitation, and. and uh, yeah. Yeah, now let's you, you get an egg. You get you get one egg. Uh, oh you're not quite an honorary member yet, but we'll 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 see how we'll we'll tally the score later and send you something you have in the to, mail. You have to take care of the egg and if you can keep it alive for a week. Draw a little face on it. <laughs> get a gold star. You get an A plus if you you if you can include some footage of you doing like crafts with your egg or taking it for walks. Or fighting Batman villains. <laughs> Tooling around in your in your melted turkey. <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, Zane, we are next time going to be doing Cyber 6, mm -hmm. uh, and so that should be, we're, we're going to start going back into regular stuff, we're not going to be having guests or 50th anniversaries, we're just going to be doing cartoons again. Cyber 6 right. looks really good, I can't wait to do it. It will still be in the, uh, sort of dark and serious, uh, toned mm -hmm. shows, so I was thinking that after that we would, um... We would do something a bit more lighthearted and silly. I really don't want to watch Garfield and Friends again, Zane. <laughs> don't make you, me do You it. don't have a choice. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Friends and Garfield redux. It will. I was going back and forth on a few, but we will be doing something with uh, animated animals. We're going to watch Angry Beavers. Oh <laughs> well, you know, our next two episodes really take care of both sides of this movie. 
It's goofy <laughs> half of the time and serious half of the time. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Yoo-hoo! <laughs> I'm glad you changed your last name, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch! <laughs> Bang. Bang! <laughs> what if Can we talk about how they um, exclaim Holy Chrome? Holy Chrome, Batman. Um, like um i don't know like there's exactly like the technology is. is so integrated with their history that that's their religion now that's so cool i i, I didn't even put that together <laughs> i wonder if that's not also a uh tip of the hat to conan the barbarian swearing by crom oh crom yeah <laughs> because the uh savage sword of conan comic book was very big at this time mm-hmm. and i think mike plug uh worked on that as well that's interesting. Yeah, could, could could be a connection. We've dealt with uh with with chromicities before in um Big O. I don't know remember I don't know why I remember that. I think we were talking about like arm pistons at the time. <laughs> Man, arm pistons are sweet. They're the sickest. They're the sickest business. I was going to say um I know we're I know we're trying to settle up, but I I had just had a thought. What if the movie ended when he shot him? Like completely f- fade to black immediately and that's just the end of the movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. I would have had an even bigger what moment than I did. Yeah, (laughs) and you had a pretty big what moment. It definitely darkens the tone of the entire film considerably. I think. Yeah. True. You don't get that redemption moment afterward. That closure where he's lighthearted again. You just get the. Yeah, but we're dealing with second Hitler. Like, I don't mind it ending on that dark of a Mm -hmm. note. It would definitely change the rewatch value of the film. I think for me, just because. Like, knowing that it ends in that way would color how I view the rest of the film mm-hmm. on a rewatch. Yeah, that's there's a lot of stuff in this movie that if it was even slightly different, it really alters your perception of everything that's been happening. Mm. Absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, Zane, after Cyber 6, what are we doing? I forget. I th- Angry Beavers. Thank you. That sucks. Um, <laughs> and uh yeah so... we, there there is a b-movie reference in there quite a lot they always watch oh, those yeah. old movies like with the thumb brain that just wanders yeah. <laughs> or the giant radioactive squirrel yeah. yeah that they kill with a giant radioactive acorn and norb gets so mad at spoilers that he punches daggett into last week yeah <laughs> that was a... I'm, I'm so excited why, why do i know that so well <laughs> anyway um Thank you, Bill, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any comments about anything coming up or about Wizards, we'd be happy to hear them. You can join us at our website, www.cartoncast.com. You can uh, join our Facebook page and post on there. We read everything. Um, And most importantly, just tell your friends about the show if you happen to like this. And, uh, Bill, where can people find you? Paperback Perils and Dyson Doubloons. Dyson Doubloons. What was that again? You told uh, me before the before we actually started recording in 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 earnest, but you didn't actually tell the viewers. <laughs> Dyson Doubloons is the blog where I cover role playing games, uh, specifically games I'm running, stuff I'm working on. I'm currently writing a series about how to put together an adventure to run at conventions. I read one of your uh, I read one of them where you were talking about the 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 perils of being a DM that. Uh, that that didn't quite understand their the players involved like didn't mm. didn't pace them well i thought it was really well written mm. and it, it's kind of why I'm, I'm not a dm most of the mm-hmm. time is i can't really handle it i can't really handle i'm, I'm the running pressures. a group right now so i think i might check that out and actually my D group right now is the same sort of science magic combo dichotomy that we get in wizards if you and... like a science magic 
technology dichotomy. Can I please make a recommendation to you? Certainly. Do you are you aware of the movie Origins Spirits of the Past? Oh jeez, I am thing. not. It's like it's like not very deep, but it's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts off with tree dragons from the moon assaulting mother mother earth and infesting it with dryad people. That is fantastic. That's the beginning. That's where it starts. <laughs> <laughs> And it only gets more chrome from there. <laughs> anyway. Um, so. Um, yeah. How do we want to outro this? We, we never know. Hitler by was way. dead. <laughs> I don't Hitler think, was dead again. I don't think anyone knows how to actually end a podcast. We make it up as we go and then we cut out the bad parts. Yep. What if, what if we just uh, cut out the podcast immediately after you talked about him shooting the guy? That would be incredible. <laughs> Add some shooting noises and then just end it here. Time <laughs> tomorrow.